Delusion causes suffering. Either it causes suffering in our life or in the lives of those around us. And if you want to know how deluded you are, just look. What kind of wake do we leave behind us? What kind of internal state do we have? Everyone has got challenges. That's a given. You would not be in this human body if you did not. And so everyone has their particular opportunity to gain their particular kind of wisdom and their particular expression of compassion. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Part of what makes it not easy is we are so convinced of our delusions, so convinced of who we think we are, that we keep running into walls or stepping in front of cars. Or maybe simply using sandpaper on our skin. As we do Sashin and as we move from this particular environment into other environments, we're always completely 100%, 360 degrees surrounded by an environment of some sort. It is important that we reflect on our particular challenges and how we can take the practices and, and the things that we have learned in a session and apply them to our life. Everybody's challenges are hard to bear. And everybody feels that their challenges are particularly unique, hard to bear. And the reality is, you know, human beings have been cycling the same old stuff millennia. But the internal challenges are often the hardest. So people can be in poverty and they can be in poor housing and they can have junky carmobile, automobiles, and they can have no health insurance. But if their state of mind is calm and open and they can be quite happy. Anybody who's traveled to for other countries will have that experience. That sometimes you see people who are living in the basest poverty and yet seem quite content. Oban talked about a little family that he saw in Mumbai living on the street, family of four, and he said they were just cooking their dinner over a little fire in the drainage ditch, in the gutter. He said they were just laughing and happy and had a good time. And Anthony DeMello, talking about meeting a sage in Calcutta, or Mumbai, or Delhi, I forgot where. And it was a person who was a rickshaw driver. Rickshaw drivers have notoriously short lives. And he said he was talking to this person, and the person he said, well, what about this 
the hardness of this job? What about the, the soot that you're breathing in all day long? What about the shortness of your life? And the person just looked at him and said, well, this is my life. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy to have this life, a life that any of us would recoil from. And on the other hand, we have people who are well-educated, prosperous, well-off, who commit suicide because the world looks so terrible to them and they feel their life is such a meaningless. Physicians, dentists, social workers, business people. Everyone has challenges. And how we meet our challenges is important. It's important to us. It's important to others. Nobody can rescue us from ourself. Nobody can rescue us from our state of mind. And liberation is possible. Liberation is possible. Turning our particular challenges into wisdom and compassion. And then they're not suffering. But the essential steps for doing this are to know ourselves. How can we relate to other people and expect them to understand us if we don't understand ourselves? If we can't be, find compassion and stability here, how can we expect anybody else to find compassion and stability out there? If we can't find integrity right here, how can we ever expect other people to hold it for us? To know ourselves. And in this tradition, the way that we emphasize that is, first off, to stabilize the mind. Stabilize the mind by stabilizing the body, by being anchored in the isness of this moment. And we've been doing sound practice and meditation. We've been sitting here stabilizing the body-mind. That is not liberating. It's not liberating, but it is essential for liberation. If we don't stabilize the body and have some means of really anchoring through exercise, through meditation, through Aikido, through Tai Chi, through whatever it is that we do, then we are much more likely to believe the vagaries of our mind, to believe the phantasmagoria of thoughts and possibilities that flow through. If we don't have a place to be stable, then we become confused. Become confused anyhow, but at least we have an anchor of sanity. And we've been doing that all week. We've been anchoring, anchoring, anchoring in sanity, in presence, anchoring in the isness of our body being breathed, sitting right here. 
And sooner or later, the mind stops arguing with that and just says, well, that's the way it is. And then we begin to enter stability. Now, this moment, as everyone knows and has heard many, many times, is the culmination of our whole history. The particular challenges that we have, whether it be restlessness or blindness to our own disorders or abuse in our background or old reactive patterns or neurologic disease or whatever our particular patterns, are, of course, the culmination of the history of our life. Not good, not bad, just a particular challenge to turn into wisdom. But we also have the opportunity to turn it into stupidity. And we often see people in the world do exactly that, have a particular challenge, and instead of turning it into wisdom, kindness, compassion, stability, they turn it into stupidity and do stupid things and hurt others, hurt themselves, and end up causing innumerable problems. If we are not turning our challenges into wisdom and instead we're projecting them out onto other people, thinking, oh, there's the problem, there's the problem. You know, how they, what they said, that's the problem. How they moved, that's the problem. What they did, what they took, that's the problem. As long, if we're doing that, we're saying, oh, it's there, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's you. That is turning our challenges into stupidity. If we can't manage our own projections, who can? Projections, we project our fears, we project our motives, we project our desperation onto others. We each have the opportunity to do that or to take responsibility and to become grounded, become centered, and to act in accord with our heart's aspiration, our deepest vow. What we do matters. What we do matters is important. What we do shapes our life, because as we said, this is the culmination of a whole history. Right here, this is, life has already been shaped. And what we do affects others. I mentioned before, what kind of wake do we leave? What we do matters. And sometimes we have to do some internal work. We have to do repentance work. Repentance, repentance, repentance. We have to really become one with. We have to acknowledge. We have to bow before the unskillful actions that we have created, that we have carried forward. And we have to truly find in our hearts a place of repentance, letting them go, being one. And sometimes we have to really look at our motivation. Oh, 
Oh, I've been run by anxiety my whole life. Oh, I've been run by restlessness all my whole life. I have to turn my attention there. What we do matters. So we can think of all of history, people who signed their names to Declaration of Independence or the Magna Carta or the Constitution or people who, who made agreements with Kublai Khan or whatever. Their effects of those signatures, those effects of those stamps and those seals and those agreements have rippled down through the ages. And we, with our kind of materialistic look, our materialistic view sometimes, we think that, that you know, an action stops here. When actually it's like throwing a rock into a, a pond and the ripples just keep going. And they ripple in the unseen realms as well as the seen realms. They ripple in ways that we don't know and can't taste as well as ways that we are aware of. We traditionally say there are six senses in Buddhism. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking is the sixth sense. And sometimes we don't give appropriate balance to those six senses. That we somehow often think that our mental activity, the mental phantasmagoria that we have created, the, the um, mental activity, the fantasies, the projections, the, the delusions, the illusions, the confusions that we have, that flow through our minds, which they all do, we take those as more real than the kinesthetic experience of sitting on the earth. We take those sometimes as more real than the, the direct, you know, kinesthetic auditory experience of hearing this sound right here, right now. And when we do that, when we have an imbalance and we think the, the, the constellation of our imagination, our mind, is reality, and that mind is confused and deluded, we are very much very likely, we all do, just to hold on to our confusions and delusions like a limpet, or a cat with prey. We cling to things that we know are not true. We cling, we defend, we get angry at things we know are not true. We put ourselves at odds with the world. That's part of why, as we've been doing listening practice, we've been trying to listen to a different variety and texture of music. Every music has its own, every sound has its own kind of vibration, its own energy. And by saying, you know, those sounds, no, don't, don't like them. Those sounds, oh, those are my sounds. We begin getting into a battle with the ambient 
life of sound. Clinging to things that we know is not truth, we may know that all sound is sound and all sound has its particular vibration. We may know that it's just an energetic field, but we then say, ooh, I like bebop. And that's the, that's the best. And the more strongly we, the narrower we become and the more strongly we hold to those particular things, the more rigid we become and the less open our mind is. And so during this session, not so much as sometimes in the past, although I'm not sure about that, try to have a variety of sounds, uh, ambient sounds and loud talking dharma talks and, and noise of one sort or another. We played a, a very violent percussion piece in the dark of the other night about a volcano, magma. We played very soft, sweet, ambient music. I'll digress. We cling to things that we know are not true. So, for example, we say everything changes. We say there is only this moment. It's all we can experience. You know, I think we've all said that in one way or another, heard that dozens of times. And we give lip service to it. Lip service means we say something with our lips and not with our heart. You say, oh yes, yes, that's obvious. Everything changes. Yes, yes, it's only this moment. But then we act in a very different way. I still have to plan my next assignation. I still have to order pizza. I still have to buy plane tickets. I still have to... And we live in the future. We may acknowledge and know for ourselves that the stability of the body sitting on the earth, the stability of the body right here, right now, the presence of the body being breathed and alive and connected, we may know that that is a foundational touchstone of the isness of life, of our life. And then our mind just gets caught up in, he said, she said, this happened to me, and this happened to you, and it gets caught in the past, it gets caught in the future, and we forget, we forget what we know to be true. We may say that everything flows, everything is empty. And then someone says, you know, you lied. And immediately, we're at war. Someone says, you can't have that. And immediately, we're at war, even though everything flows. It's really important to look and see delusion is suffering either inside or outside. And so whenever we are clinging to delusion, we're suffering. The mind has many functions. You know, it's functions of vision and memory and functions of discernment. But the mind can't act. The mind can envision. 
And envisioning is a wonderful tool. You know, many, many great visionaries are completely ignored because other people can't agree with them, can't, find, can't see that same vision. Or spiritual visionaries sometimes are crucified because people can't, can't expand to see that, that same vision. Envisioning, you know, creative, points us, heads us. But fundamentally, all of our mental activity is dependent upon agreement. Remembering is a, is a skill, it's a wonderful skill, but it's kind of based on agreement. So if I started imagining that we had, had asparagus cordon bleu last Tuesday, and I got everybody to agree with me that we had that, how would we prove it wasn't true? Throw away the menu. When we say, oh, I was hurt, I was harmed, I was abused, and we get a bunch of people to agree with us, yes. We get agreement. Agreement about what's going to happen, agreement about what has happened. We get agreement. And then we begin thinking, agreement means safety, agreement means being right, right is, be, is delicious. We cannot get agreement if we were to pool everybody, poll everybody in this room about the music we played and what we played when and what was moving and what it touched you, there would be very little agreement. We cling to our delusion and we project them onto the world. The world doesn't care, but we care, and our actions affect the suffering that we experience and the experience of people around us. So to know that imagination is imagination is one thing, and to know that the earth and the sensation of sitting on the earth is another thing is important. The Buddha in the Diamond Sutra says this, if each of the grains of the sands in the Ganges River were its own Ganges River, and there were a world for each grain of sand in all these Ganges River, would there be a lot of worlds? Very many, sir, says Subhuti. The Buddha said, however many beings there are in all these worlds, the Buddha knows how their minds function and knows the quality of their thoughts. That's a pretty amazing statement, especially when we say we are the Buddha. But then he continues, the mind is not in fact mind, it's only called mind. It's not a thing, it's only called a thing. Why is that? Because the past mind is ungraspable, the future mind is ungraspable, the present mind is ungraspable. Every belief we have is simply flowing through. Every belief we have is simply a temporary expedient to meet particular circumstance. Every belief we have can shape and affect us. But when we cling to our ideas, we cling to them, they become weapons of self or mass destruction. So we could say that everything is just our imagination. 
we have all these vibrations that theoretically come in here, but then who's doing all the interpretation of them? Who's doing all the feeling of them? Who's doing all the assessment of them? Who's doing all the, the recognition of them? Tree falls in the forest. Is there any sound? Well, until the mind is processed, there's no tree. And there's no sound, there's just vibration. So we can actually imagine and actually see that the whole world is just a projection of our imaginations. And the only evidence that we have that it's not true, I'm not sure there is any evidence, because all the evidence we have is just more thought. More thought leading to more thought leading to more thought leading to more thought. And then you get a bunch of people saying, I have the same thought, and we think that's real. If we turn this into music, past music is ungraspable, future music is ungraspable, and the present music is ungraspable. It's all flowing through. There's nothing to defend. It's all flowing through. There's nothing to defend because we can't keep something in a particular way. We can't keep it safe and in a box. Even if we're trying to keep something safe and in a box, it's still changing and flowing through one way or another. Past music is ungraspable. We got that. Past memory is ungraspable. It changes. It morphs. You know, my life looks different every 10 years. The past looks different every 10 years. It's ungraspable. We can't put it in a box. As I often have, have said, There are 100,000 books, I think, written on the Civil War, and each one of them looks at a different Civil War, a different perspective. American Civil War. And there are almost no books that I know of, at least, that are written about the 11 Civil Wars that Russia went through after it withdrew from World War I. No history at all. past is ungraspable. It's morphing. It's changing. You can let go of it. We can't hear past music. And future music is unheard. We can't apperceive it, apprehend it. And the present is just going by so rapidly, so fast. So 84,000 of the worlds are happening in a snap. Present mind is ungraspable. We're nothing but flow. There's nothing to defend. There's nothing, we're nothing but flow. We're right, we're wrong, we're sometimes right, sometimes wrong. People like us, they don't like us. The eight worldly winds, the eight vicissitudes, the eight 
flavors just keep going up and down, good and bad, easy and hard, skillful and unskillful, pleasure and pain. I'm right, I'm wrong, you like me, they don't like me. It's all flow. We get on the upside of the curve, the sine curve, sine wave, and we think, ah, everybody likes me, I've got enough prosperity, I feel comfortable and good, I got it made, and then, of course, the slide starts happening. And suddenly we're in the trough. And just the opposite. And up and down. Sitting on this earth, sitting right here, breathing, being breathed, is the place of stability. The past mind is ungraspable. The present mind is ungraspable. The future mind is ungraspable. The future music can't be heard. The present music, music is moving through and the past music is already gone. But when we are anchored right here, there is an experience of music. There is an experience of thinking. There is an experience of life. This anchoredness is something we can cultivate during session and carry with us. Remember as we leave, as we begin to go to the next thing, anchor, anchor, anchor. Because if we're truly anchored, then we have, have a, a way of taking the, the endless stream of stuff that comes towards us and watching it flow through, watching it be okay, watching it do what it does. We hear the sound outside. Flowing reality. One last piece about that is that you know, when we believe our views, when we believe who we think we are, and other people tell us differently, so you know, you really are a stuck up. You really don't pay attention. When we are, have our own fixed views and other people tell us things and we give so much more credence to what we think about ourselves, and we're unable to actually hear that perhaps other people have a view and have information that would be worth listening to. Perhaps they even see us more clearly than we see ourselves. Okay, let's move to the next point. Don't, we don't need to believe our thoughts. Bottom line. All that was just to get to that point. So, right now, we all have visual sense. Right now, we all hear this sound. And the, the visual sense of what we see is simply the visual sense of what we see. The interpretation of it is a whole mental activity. 
There is the direct experience, and there's the direct experience of sound, which we happen to interpret as English, based upon our histories. Could be interpreted different ways by people with different histories. So sight, sound, smell, taste, touch are all vivid experiences of this moment, constantly changing, constantly flowing, anchored. And it is there that we make create action, that we do things. So we have a vision of getting on a plane to go to Swahili, and the pandemic is now over, and everybody is free, and we decided we want to go to Swahili, and we've got to go get a, a, pl a plane. The vision is great. You know, we need to get to Swahili. It's our fantasy. <laughs> but the only way to do it is in this moment to check our bank account, in this moment to check the plane schedule, in this moment to look on the computer, in this moment. The only way we can ever have anything in the future actually come to be is by meticulous attention to this moment. We want a partner. Future partner is ungraspable. Past partners are no, no good. Yeah? Present partner is unfindable. So, in this moment, we act kindly. In this moment, we are practicing generosity. In this moment, we practice integrity. Kindness, generosity, integrity in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. And then when the right circumstance happens, somehow somebody or something appears. Not because we had the picture and we're going to make the picture real, but because we had integrity. Integrity, integrity, integrity. And when we are driven by worry and driven by anxiety and driven by, by all the, uh, the confusion of our minds, we lose the integrity of our actions in this moment, in this moment. And they become shakier and less reliable. And the outcome is also shakier and less reliable. Somebody wants a good partner, become a really good person. And then the universe will either, somebody will show up or you'll end up getting a pet turtle, you know, whatever is appropriate. <laughs> but it'll be done from a base of integrity. So how we walk, how we listen, how we hold things. That's the beginning of karma. That is the way that we set into motion the future. Now, a couple of nights ago, the, the, it was cool and there was really very clear parts of the sky and you could look up and you could see the Pleiades and you could see Orion, you could see the, some of the stars. And you could look at those stars and the, the brilliance of them 
And then the mind thinks, oh, that light happened a million years ago. Ten million years ago, I don't know how long. That light, that star may even be dead. Maybe a burned out cinder, and yet that light is still radiating out. That light is still touching us right here. That light is still vivid and alive, even though the star, the sun, may be burned out. In the same way, our actions have a resonance and a movement throughout the universe, even after we are gone. When I'm thinking about these things, I, I, I'm pondering the, the Irish monk that was being pursued by the Vikings back in the ninth century. And he grabbed the Book of Kells and he threw it into a bog. And because he did that, you know, a thousand years later, this magnificent manuscript came to light. Every act has its consequences. So we're sitting here in this retreat, getting to know ourselves, clarifying the mind, stabilizing the mind, and beginning to and continuing to be able to discern when our actions are coming from greed, anger, and ignorance, and when they're coming from a genuine integrity, kindness, Truth, listening. Now, so let's do some uh, an experiment. So you're all stuck here for a few more minutes. All right. Please. Say to yourself, I have nothing to do. There is nothing right here, right now, that needs doing. Nothing. Say to yourself, I have nothing to do Nothing needs doing. I don't want anything. Just sit there, a mind that wants nothing. And don't be afraid. A mind that wants nothing. Nothing. But to be grounded and breathed. This moment, you have everything you need. You need nothing. Let it all go. 
if you if you can, just go into the state of mind temporarily of there's nothing I want to do. I want nothing. Now, if we want nothing, please check and, and see if you're still breathing. Because it, breath is not about wanting anything. Wanting nothing is a kind of freedom. Imagine you are sitting here totally free because you want nothing. You want nothing so nobody has their hooks in you. And you have your hooks in nobody. totally free. Not indifferent, because you're still breathing and feeling the body. I assume you still have one. Hearing sounds. Totally free. This moment, I want nothing. Nothing. I need nothing. I have everything I need right now, this moment. Now, I guarantee, guarantee across my heart that if the bell rings in this period, even though you want nothing, something will happen. Even though you want nothing, even though you need nothing, even though you have everything you possibly need right here, right now. Sound comes to you. Breath breathes you. Earth supports you. I encourage everyone to do this experiment repeatedly. You don't need to become awakened. You don't need to get better. You don't need to grow an extra two inches. You don't need to lose weight, gain feathers, whatever. 
you don't even need to have a thought. And yet, they come. When you don't even need to have a thought, and you're completely free of wanting to do something else, yeah, thoughts will come. So what? So imagine if you were to live your life with this kind of integrity, this kind of trust, this kind of reality. And you can have the direct experience of freedom, of liberation, any time you want to. We just don't have to believe the mind that is so full of shoulds and oughts and wants. It doesn't change the mind. It's important to check these kind of things out and to investigate and to be curious about them and to see, is this true or not? Because if it's something that we heard and we say, oh, should be true, ought to be true, something we read in a book, it sounds true. And then we try to grab a hold of it, it's a kind of defense. It's not an insight. To actually realize for yourself the place of freedom and then freely sitting in this room for a while and freely engaging with the world with integrity, with connection. And the signs of that connection and integrity is our ability to allow other people to connect to us and kindness and compassion. <laughs> 